0: You're listening to an airwave media podcast.
1: Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer and Dr. Andrea Love. And this week, we are tackling a topic that has been requested so many times we've lost count, acupuncture. Before we get to that... Just a reminder that if you did not tune into last week's episode, definitely go check it out. We tackled the topic of gluten, or if you're Andrea, gluten, which I love the way that you pronounce it, Andrea. I'm sorry. Definitely pronounce
0: gluten. Gluten. I will die on that hill. (laughs) Yes, you
1: will. We had the amazing Dr. Dave Stukas on with us. He's a clinical immunologist and allergist. Uh, We talked about some of the reasons why folks may need to to avoid gluten but some of the unfounded claims and misinformation surrounding gluten and that we really don't need to be as scared of it as so many of us are so definitely go check that out if you haven't already if you don't follow us on instagram and haven't seen our stories, I am recovering from COVID. I actually, we just had to stop the recording and redo it because my voice cracked (laughs) during the intro. I'm going to do my very best to mute myself if I have to cough, and I hope that my voice isn't too nasal for folks. But just wanted to give that little disclaimer. So let's jump into it. Andrea, have you ever
0: had acupuncture done? I have not, but once upon a time... I did get coerced into a dry needling session while I was undergoing physical therapy. And I have to say, I was very hesitant, I, I really didn't want to commit to it. And the physical therapist office that I went to was quite forceful and to the point of offering it to me for free to see how I felt. Um, oh my gosh. And how did you feel? Wait, I, I I felt I felt nothing. Um I did feel like they well, dry needling is different and we're gonna talk about that actually, but um I did feel like they Impinged a nerve temporarily, but I definitely didn't feel any relief from it. Wow. Okay. I had no idea that you were going to answer that way. I thought you were <laughs> going to say no.
1: Um, so, so interesting. And I know we'll talk about this, but it's, uh, you're, uh, for those who don't know, Andrea is an athlete, a runner, a marathoner. Um, so these, well, some of the things you're talking about now are very popular among the running community, yes. right? Very okay. popular. All right. So let's get into it. I'll just give a one sentence. Summary and that, Andrea. I'd love you to sort of dig in uh, to the roots of acupuncture. Um, so. Acupuncture is the practice of penetrating the skin with thin solid metallic needles which are then activated through gentle and specific movements of the practitioner's hands or sometimes with electrical stimulation but electricity is not standard practice. And when we talk about acupuncture we have to talk about some of the you know the cultural context right because we know that acupuncture has its roots
0: in traditional Chinese medicine. So Andrea, can you talk about this? So acupuncture is a reasonably large component of what we call traditional Chinese medicine or TCM. Um, And the foundation for TCM is the belief that the body has thousands of acupuncture points across the body that are connected by meridians or energy pathways. And so these pathways create an energy flow, which is called qi. And this qi basically determines a person's health. And so the belief in TCM is that disruption of someone's qi causes disease and not just musculoskeletal conditions, but all sorts of disease. And so by, therefore, interrupting or or helping to restore the chi balance by applying acupuncture, by inserting those needles into these acupuncture points along these chi pathways, it improves the flow of chi, therefore improving health. So maybe I'll quickly just kind of summarize a little bit more about chi. About so in TCM, the, the rationale is that Various symptoms of illnesses are the result of disrupted or unbalanced qi through these different meridians um, and imbalances of qi in the central organs of the body, the primary organs, which are called zang fu. And in this process, TCM seeks to kind of alleviate these imbalances, readjust the circulation of chi or this vital energy source using a broad variety of techniques. So herbology, you know, supplements, herbal supplements, food therapy, you'll find things like Ayurveda very, very commonly, not in, not in TCM, but in other sorts of, Eastern therapeutic practices. They also do other sorts of um, physical methods, things like Tai Chi you probably heard about. So that's a physical practice involving physical movement of circular energy to try and reclaim someone's chi. Other sorts of martial arts have some foundation in chi in practice, as well as acupuncture, which we're going to talk about. And so they talk often about different sources of chi or different types of chi. Chi. So sometimes they'll say, um, you know, the primordial chi, which is kind of the chi that you acquire from birth. But then they'll also talk about like liver chi or spleen chi, depending on like the organ or the meridian that they're referring to. One other thing that I think is important when we talk about chi and, and TCM is that it doesn't really try to d- differentiate between cause of symptoms and alleviation of symptoms. So there's really not a heavy emphasis on diagnostic and appropriate treatment. It's really all based on this fundamental belief that everything is caused by some disruption in the.
1: Andrea, if we did a shot every time you said chi, uh, we would be (laughs) either in the emergency room or the morgue. Um, Okay, so I'm just I'm looking. So obviously everyone knows we prepare for these episodes and I'm looking through some of the notes that we put together. and, And Andrea, I'm seeing something here about patterns that practitioners are trying yes. to determine. Can you talk a little bit about that?
0: Yeah. You have you have these different meridians, these different pathways that kind of all form a network throughout the body. And so there's a belief that depending on what your symptoms present as, there's a certain pattern, there's a certain disharmony that exists within the chi, and that is mapped out in this meridian. And maybe we'll put a meridian map on the website along with the show notes. And so when – When acupuncture is conducted, the needles that are chosen or the sites within the body that are chosen to insert these microfilament needles are based on these pathways that that the thought is they need to be restored so that the chi can flow freely. And I I know that this sounds a little wooey. I'm just trying to give kind of the theory due diligence before we get into the data.
1: Right. And and again, you know, we do want to be sensitive to cultural practices. And so just just know that, again, we're, we're trying to map out the practice of acupuncture and then also ev- evaluate the available evidence for it. Yeah.
0: So typically when, when someone is receiving acupuncture and there have been changes, you know, as kind of Western societies have kind of adopted this, and, and I think Jess is going to talk about the industry and the popularity and things like that in just a second. Um, But the practice is there are certain pathways within this meridian map on the body that are identified, that are thought to be the cause of whatever symptom the person is presenting with. And and I think in Western acupuncture practice— um, the majority of people that are seeking treatment are doing so for musculoskeletal issues, so pain or arthritis or things like that. But in TCM, it it really is used for nearly every ailment. And so they map out where the needles need to be placed along these meridian lines, and then they insert a select number of needles, which then sit in the skin, you know, it will upper layers of dermis um, for a period of 15 to 30 minutes in order to restore this this energy or this chi.
1: Based on these notes that I'm looking at now, it looks like practitioners will will evaluate things. And I guess we're talking about TCM now, but things like color and shape of a person's tongue, relative strength of pulse points,
0: smell of breath, quality of breathing, sound of voice, things like that, right? The concept of chi and, and these sorts of evaluations, you know, unfortunately, there is No science behind this. There's really no evidence behind this. There's no indication that, you know, there are these energy pathways within the body. I mean, we do know that. Physiology is a complex network of organs and vessels and things like that, but but this concept of this vital energy force, unfortunately, there's no data to support that rationale behind the practice of acupuncture.
1: So Andrea, you you sort of got to the punchline, and we're we're going to walk through some of the data and some of the studies conducted. But you know, I'm sure that we we have people hearing this right now tuning in who are saying, "Well, I tried acupuncture and it worked for me," and you know, we're, we're going to talk about that. You know, we'll talk about placebo effect. We'll talk about some other p- potential mechanisms of action, but remember that as scientists, we're d- we're looking at population level data. We're looking at averages. We're looking for patterns. Um, it doesn't mean that there aren't going to be outliers. Just want to sort of level set there. Uh, obviously, lots that we could say about that, but we're not trying to invalidate anyone's experiences or say that you know oh you you imagine that because it is po- we know that you know many people have reported positive effects after acupuncture. So just wanted to mention that. So I've never had acupuncture done, so I had to really read up on it. And I was reading that, you know, when the needle is inserted, most people report feeling minimal pain, if any. The needles are inserted to a point that produces a sensation of pressure or a mild ache. As we said, sometimes needles, there might be a mild electric current applied. Sometimes they're heated. Some people report that acupuncture makes them feel Energized. Others say that they feel relaxed. And then there are other forms of stimulation that are often mentioned, you know, in the context of acupuncture that are used over acupuncture points, including heat, which is. Am I saying this wrong? Moxibustion. Is that? Yeah, and
0: you. And usually, I think that also involves like burning of herbs or things like that, like sage and so, so so on. Right, near the skin, right. Then there's acupressure,
1: friction, suction, also known as cupping, and obviously we're going to talk about that, (laughs) Um, and then impulses of electromagnetic energy. So let's talk about um, acupuncture's uh, popularity in the U.S. We first began to use acupuncture in the U.S. in the early 1970s, and it's really grown in popularity each year. So data from the National Health Interview Survey again from the U.S., showed a 50% increase in the number of acupuncture users between 2002 and 2012. In 2012, I guess that's the last time that we have NHIS data, this particular survey that I'm talking about, and over 6% of U.S. adults reported that they had used acupuncture, and almost 2% reported that they used it in the past 12 months. We always like to remind everyone this is also an industry, although it's sort of you know, falls under the umbrella. Am I going to get yelled at for this? Of you know, alternative therapies. I guess I'd say non-conventional therapies. I'm not quite sure how to phrase that. It is still an industry. So worldwide revenue from the acupuncture treatment market reached over twenty-seven billion dollars. That's billion with a B at the end of 2021, and it's the global market is growing at a rate of over 16 percent every year and is expected to reach a market valuation of over $143 billion by the end of 2032. So lest we forget, yes, this is still an industry. The other thing I wanted to mention is insurance coverage and policies. So, I actually didn't realize this. I guess many private insurance policies will cover acupuncture. They usually have some limitations on the amount of treatments that could be used uh, or received either every month or by year. Also, typically the uh, acupuncture has to be administered by a licensed professional and those licenses vary from state to state. Also learn that in 2020, Medicaid and Medicare started providing coverage for acupuncture with limitations. So I believe Medicare covers members for up to 20 visits per year and Medicaid may cover acupuncture, again, varies state by state, but only for chronic lower back pain. All right, Andrea, let's get into this. You know, before we hit record, we were sort of bantering about how controversial this is even within. In the scientific community. There's a lot of disagreement. I think we should talk about how the mechanisms of action uh, are, are
0: not understood. So let, let's talk about it. Why do some people seek acupuncture? So, when we're talking about the use of acupuncture in the context of TCM or traditional Chinese medicine, historically, it's really been used to treat almost every ailment. It's it's common practice to implement it alongside a lot of those other practices that I discussed previously. So that could be anything from symptoms as a result of an infectious disease or injury or cancer or musculoskeletal issues, whatever. Because as I mentioned, TCM really doesn't focus on uh, separating the diagnosis and the treatment. It's it's all based on that belief that the energy force is disrupted and, and acupuncture is something that's used to restore that. But let's talk about in the context of Western culture. Um, hopefully people don't accuse us of being Eurocentric, but for the sake of discussion here. Um, so typically in the U.S., acupuncture is going to be sought for a variety, mostly of things like musculoskeletal issues. So things like acute injuries of joints or muscles, osteoarthritis, low back pain, carpal tunnel, um, tennis elbow. Some people also seek it out for other sorts of pains such as headache or nausea, um, things like that. so the practice is quite wide and diverse and of course the reason that someone have these underlying symptoms are also quite, wide and diverse and I think there is actually part of the challenge in terms of you know determining whether there is, in fact, a causal relationship between acupuncture and alleviation of a particular symptom.
1: That's so important. And I think we should talk about why it's sort of difficult, or I should say what some of the flaws with the existing research studies that have been conducted on this topic, because obviously the whole goal of research studies on this topic, we're trying to isolate the effect of acupuncture, right? And so to do that, we have to create a control group of people who are receiving something, right? Because if they're not getting anything that they're going to know that they're in the control group. So we have to try to mimic the act of acupuncture in some way. And so I guess over time we have become clever. There is some sham um, acupuncture, you know, ways to have like a retractable needle so people don't realize that they're, you know, they feel something on their skin but they're not actually having the needle inserted and we're we're trying to mimic that feeling of acupuncture, right? To to create this yep. idea so well, to to maintain the um what what am I looking at? Blinding of studies. Sorry. COVID brain. Yes, yes, um, yeah, exactly. sorry. Go on.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so generally, you know, Americans are seeking out acupuncture for relief of chronic pain, especially those associated with things like arthritis or low back pain. Obviously we recommend speaking with your medical providers physicians clinical teams before considering acupuncture when we dig into the data though you know th- i just want to kind of set the stage that there is very limited data, and we'll talk about maybe some key examples. But there was a, a systematic review that looked at—it's actually a meta-analysis of systematic reviews—and they found um, it was it was investigating 77 different disease states. So typically, where there is mild to moderate evidence that acupuncture may offer a benefit, these are typically with the eight disease conditions that they noted were musculoskeletal, so low back pain, neck and shoulder pain, myofascial pain, reduction in various post-stroke symptoms like vascular dementia or aphasia or things like that. So... That's eight out of 77 different diseases. So when you kind of parse that further, then you can look at other sorts of, or within that group of eight kind of pain-related conditions, you can look at additional studies within those groups. So we looked at, there was, obviously, there's there's quite a few studies out there. And I think something important that we always discuss is anybody can find a single study that supports a particular belief or hypothesis, but that's why we typically are looking at the body of evidence, including meta-analyses and systematic reviews and randomized controlled trials. So maybe, Jess, you want to summarize a couple and then I can jump in? Well, there was a really a great one that was published in JAMA that I
1: just wanted to talk through. And so this particular study, it was a randomized trial. And of course, we'll we'll link it in our show notes. Um, and it was evaluating acupuncture for chronic low back pain. And this particular study, it had over 600 adults with chronic mechanical low back pain. Again, it was randomized. They were randomized to either individualized acupuncture, standardized acupuncture, simulated acupuncture, or usual care. They were followed over time. And basically, yada, 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 what they found was that although acupuncture was found effective for chronic low back pain, tailoring the needling sites to each patient and penetration of the skin were found to be unimportant in eliciting therapeutic benefits. So this means that even for folks who weren't actually getting the needle in their skin when it was just simulated, they were still feeling benefit. And so this particular study raised questions about acupuncture's purported mechanisms of action because it's unclear whether acupuncture or the simulated method of acupuncture provide physiologically important stimulation
0: or represent placebo or non-specific effects that's a great point and actually Several other studies have found similar effects. So there was another uh, randomized controlled trial also published in JAMA, um, and they were looking at the evidence for acupuncture in the context of migraines. And so here they used what we call sham acupuncture as a control. And so sham acupuncture is basically using similar acupuncture needles, but instead of inserting them into the meridian lines, which are supposedly to restore the chi flow, they're inserting them essentially randomly. Randomly, So non, non-acupuncture points around the body. And then there was a third group, which basically these were people who were told that they were on the waiting list and they didn't receive any needles anywhere in their body. And so what they found was the sham acupuncture group and the true acupuncture group had essentially similar results. Both groups seem to report improvement in their self-reported migraine symptoms and duration and severity, and both of them were slightly improved compared to the group that said, you know, you're on the waiting list, you're not going to get any sort of treatment. So again, this again calls into question, you know, are we actually restoring these supposed energy lines? Is this just placebo? Is this the thought that you are getting something done, helping to alleviate your symptoms or helping to alleviate your perception of your symptoms. So again, you know, this is kind of the the sort of data that you will come across if you're looking for evidence as far as the efficacy of acupuncture. So I
1: feel like our typical sort of disclaimer applies here, like, uh, as with all things, you, you need to talk to your, you know, your clinician. And for this particular practice, and we'll talk about potential harms, the risks are actually pretty low. You know, assuming that a sterile needle is being used. And anyway, we'll, we'll talk more about that so you know if it's I I don't know I hate saying this and I feel like Andrea I don't know that you fully agree with it but you know if this is something that people let's say they've they've tried other things and and it hasn't worked you know as long as you're not foregoing medical attention when it's needed it seems like some people may experience benefit from this possibly, but it sort of falls into what we call a black box um, science like maybe for some people we're seeing a benefit but we don't really understand why. And you
0: know some of these systematic reviews and randomized controlled trials and we'll we'll link them all we don't have to go through the data for every single one of them but um, but basically the general conclusion is the standard treatment so typically when we're talking about musculoskeletal pain because, There's no evidence that acupuncture is helpful for anything outside of kind of that scope of illness. But the effectiveness of standard treatments, which include medication, so those could be analgesics or NSAIDs, um, injectable therapies, as well as physical therapy, the body of evidence for those treatments is much more robust and has scientific foundation behind that um, in comparison to acupuncture is kind of the, the overall consensus.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I do think that some Western medicine docs have sort of come around to this in light of things like the the opioid crisis and epidemic, you know, that this may be a tool in the toolbox for some very specific chronic musculoskeletal pain.
0: We know, or we've kind of discussed that, you know, the logic of this cheese is not substantiated. And so there are some people and there are some small, you know, RCTs that show a, a modest effect compared to, you know, Weight room, or 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 no treatment at all. There doesn't appear to be a difference between the sham acupuncture and the actual acupuncture. So it's obviously not this this chi, but people are trying to come up with alternative hypotheses. So Jess, maybe you can kind of walk through what some of the working theories might be?
1: Yes. And again, you know, these are sort of, these are just hypotheses. A lot of this is, actually, all of it is theoretical because we don't really understand it. So some people say that there might be some neurochemical mechanisms of acupuncture's pain-relieving effects. So some people think that acupuncture works by stimulating a nerve in the body That then sends a signal to the brain to release pain relieving hormones, including endorphins, and that these hormones can suppress pain and increase things like overall mood, happiness, pleasure, and and help with pain control. Let's see what else. And it's interesting, you know, Andrea, we were talking about this. A lot of these claims are are on some really reputable pages. You know, the NIH has this on their page, Johns Hopkins, Harvard. But again, you know, it's they're making these claims, but there's really not a whole lot of right, evidence right. behind them. So
0: another another theory is, you know, you're inserting a small microfilament needle into your tissues, and that can create some localized inflammation and immune response because that's technically a small wound. And so that can lead to some sort of therapeutic effects due to, you know, the body's response to this kind of perturbation in the skin. And again, you know, this is actually sort of the principle that dry needling rests on, which is which is different. It's it's we we want to differentiate it from acupuncture, but that's kind of a similar principle is that, you know, you've penetrated the skin and you create this localized, you know, small amount of inflammation. You have this wound healing, you have some sort of immune response. But unfortunately, when we have, you know, that we can kind of debunk because when we do the fake acupuncture where a needle is not technically inserted, people still report Seeing a benefit,
1: so Andrea, there was a great article in Scientific American that we have to link. Um, I think you actually found this link. It was uh, five scientists weigh in on acupuncture, and it sort of shows the differences of opinions and different perspectives. But I'm trying to look here. Yeah, there were all different types of you know areas of expertise that are represented on this panel. But one of the folks made a comment, and it's like, you know, what would I give to be lying on a table in a quiet room for an hour? have someone give me attention and touch my body, you know, even that in and of itself, it might give somewhat a positive effect. Right. Yeah. And actually,
0: you know, there there was some data that demonstrated that, you know, people who reported pain relief during a previous acupuncture session were simply shown a video of that recording and then to imagine or, or kind of revisit that feeling and even just that imagery was able to reproduce the pain relief sensation they felt. So certainly you know, there's a psychological component going on here as well. So, you know,
1: improper placement of a needle can cause pain during treatment, especially if it's pushed in too deeply. You are running some risk there. Of course, needles must be sterilized to prevent infection. And that's why you have to go to someone who is, what is it, licensed, I guess. And again, the license is kind of vary state by state. But, you know, you certainly, you, you can't be using dirty, non-sterilized needles. And the FDA regulates acupuncture needles just as it does other medical devices under good manufacturing practices and single-use standards of sterility. Relatively few complications from using acupuncture have been reported, but again, the complications that we have seen are from uh, resulting from the use of non-sterile needles and improper delivery of treatments.
0: Serious adverse events are certainly rare, but I do think we want to make sure that That people are aware that there have been issues, there have been cases of pneumothorax, which is essentially a collapsed lung where an acupuncture needle punctures the lung and leads to a serious complication. There's been at least one documented instance of someone having or experiencing cardiac rupture or heart rupture due to an improperly placed acupuncture needle as well. Obviously, the majority of issues relate to um, nerve damage and or infections associated with non sterile needles. But You know, the risk is lower than some of the other kind of fringe science, pseudoscience practices we've discussed, such as chiropractic. But they're not zero.
1: So would you now I know you mentioned that you you receive dry needling,
0: but would you receive acupuncture? I I don't know. I probably not. I just feel like. You know, I'm, obviously, I'm a scientist and I know the placebo effect is a real thing and people experience it. Um, I think I think I would personally need to see a more robust body of data. I also, you know, I worry about the risk. If you talk to obviously scientists and actually in that Scientific American article, you kind of walk the line where, you know, the acupuncturist who's interviewed is a firm believer. Right. And so you've got this inherent bias in a lot of these studies that you're seeing because, the folks that are doing the studies are acupuncturists right so they kind of want to you know form a hypothesis or design a study that's going to kind of support what they what they want and that and that's an inherent issue with the clinical trial study designs with with some of these studies but other folks other academics other researchers other scientific experts really feel that acupuncture still falls into the, the the strong pseudoscience camp where, you know, there's some sort of plausibility somewhere in the ether, but it's really – there's no evidence to support it. Again, the risks are relatively low, and if you're someone who has been seeking, you know, pain relief for something and nothing is working and you're not foregoing other sorts of kind of proven modalities like physical therapy and other sorts of things – you know, as long as you're being overseen by, by a trained clinical team, can it hurt? Hard to say. I also worry about people who kind of fall into the hole of misinformation. And I know we've talked about this recently, where some things may seem benign when you talk about them, but it really can kind of open the door to this rabbit hole of more dangerous misinformation. And so I think it's really important to understand, like, OK, there's not a lot of data that this is going to hurt you, but there's also not a ton of data that this is going to help right
1: and actually i feel like our post from today is really appropriate it's science is gray and i you know i'm happy that we're not basically drawing a black and white hard line right now I mean, you know we're not we're, we're obviously not saying oh acupuncture is the best thing it's going to you know <laughs> cure all your issues but then we're also not saying the opposite that it's absolutely terrible and there's no reason to ever try it right because you know we're we're saying you know no there's not a ton of evidence to support of it, but we, you know, it, it may be helpful. We don't really understand the mechanism as long as you're not foregoing medical care, as long as you're using sterile needles and, you know, be, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's, it's gray. There's a gray area here. So I don't know. Just thought it was sort of appropriate.
0: You know, one other thing, right? So a lot of people, you know, it, it is Covered by some people's private insurance, it may be, it may be not, it may be out of pocket. There's been a couple of studies that have looked at the cost effectiveness. So is it more cost effective than other sorts of methods of treating musculoskeletal pain? And again, I want to be clear that we are not talking about use of acupuncture for completely irrelevant medical issues, like claiming it's going to treat some sort of infectious disease or things like that. This is solely in the context, the data that we're discussing that show, you know, potential benefit is solely in the context of very specific musculoskeletal issues. Overall, there doesn't seem to be a lot of evidence that it's cost effective when compared to other sorts of modalities. So again, if this is something where you have the money and can afford it, again, everybody has, you know, autonomy and and the ability to make decisions. But That's kind of where it fits here, because depending on where you're going and if it's not covered by insurance, it could be several hundred dollars per session. And usually they recommend or prescribe a period of sessions in order to theoretically um, see a benefit. All right, Andrea, do you want to take us home? So the big TLDR here is... Evidence for the benefit of acupuncture is limited. Most of the beneficial effects reported that are related to acupuncture seem to be linked to placebo effect or potentially psychological effects or even just... You know, the environment with which you're receiving acupuncture can be relaxing to people. If you want more Unbiased Science, check out our Substack subscription. We post extended content there regularly, and it also gives you access to our private Facebook group and our monthly live Q&As. Subscriptions are only $5 a month, and you can check it out at the Unbiased theunbiasedscipod.com. substack.com. Next episode, we're actually going to expand on this concept of alternative remedies for musculoskeletal ailments. And so we're going to tackle a couple of somewhat related topics that we've hinted at, um, and that's going to be dry needling and cupping. So make sure to tune into that episode for a deeper discussion. We will, of course, continue to provide updates on COVID-19, influenza, RSV, and all sorts of other topics on our social media accounts. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at unbiasedSciPod. Catch you next time on The Pod, your trusted source for no nonsense, just science.
1: Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist.